Hi, I'm Dr. Olga Pinkston, a board-certified rheumatologist and the host of the Mind Your Fiber podcast. This podcast is dedicated to fibromyalgia. I discuss up-to-date information about fibro, its treatment, the biology and psychology of the fibromyalgia. I cover the pain science education, the complementary and alternative methods available to you now to improve your symptoms. There are a lot of things that influence development of fibromyalgia trigger fiber flares, and produce other symptoms like IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, depression, and anxiety, and none of them are your fault. In the Mind Your Fiber podcast, you will learn how and why fiber develops, how chronic pain changes your brain, and most importantly, that you're not alone in the struggle, that fiber is real, and how to not let fiber control your life. This podcast provides information only and does not provide any medical or psychological services or advice. Welcome back to Mind Your Fiber Podcast, episode 31. Today I have a special guest, Theresa Fiola. We will be talking about pelvic dysfunction in both men and women and available therapies. Theresa is a physical therapist who specializes in pelvic health. She earned her bachelor's degree in science in physical therapy from University of Pittsburgh. As a physical therapist, she has over 35 years of clinical practice experience working in inpatient acute care, inpatient rehabilitation, skilled nursing, and outpatient orthopedics. She has served in clinical management roles throughout her career, but her clinical focus has been on education and treatment of both women's and men's pelvic health. She presents regionally to community groups and regional healthcare providers on women's health topics. Theresa earned Pelvic Rehabilitation Practitioner Certification from Erman and Wallace Rehabilitation Institute in 2015, and she is also a board-certified women's certified specialist. She is the owner of the Pelvic Room in Excellent, Pennsylvania. She is also the co-founder of the Perinatal Partners Network, an organization focused on providing integrated resources and care during the perinatal period. Pelvis is a complex body part and often not thought of something that needs to be addressed as a whole. Most providers and patients tend to focus on individual organs within the pelvis, the bladder, the bowels, the uterus. But in addition to pelvic organs, we also have pelvic floor, that is composed of many muscles, and this musculature is very complex. It has over 30 different muscles that support the pelvic organs, bladder, uterus, intestines. These muscles also provide resistance to the increase in abdominal and pelvic pressures when we cough or lift heavy objects, and of course, help us to urinate and to help bowel movement, control the sphincters of the urethra and rectum. Plus, we have many other joints and muscles that surround the pelvic floor, the hips, the buttocks, etc. So many muscles, many organs, going in different directions, having different roles. During this interview, we will discuss various dysfunctions of the pelvis in both men and women, the role of pelvic PT in treatment, how fibromyalgia and pelvic pain or pelvic dysfunction may be connected, pain after childbearing, and sexual trauma, and we will also touch on sex and intimacy. Today is part one of the interview. Theresa's information can be found in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Well, thank you, Teresa, for joining us today to discuss pelvic pain. 
And before we discuss the topics of pelvic health and treatment, could you please orient my listeners about pelvis? What exactly is pelvis? And what symptoms women and men may experience when they complain about pelvic pain? Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to um, share my passion with everyone because, of course, this is an area that is not really talked about because of embarrassment and shame. So there's a lot of information, a lot of good practitioners, but word doesn't spread as easily as maybe if we're talking about back pain. Everybody knows about back pain and, and shares information. So as a pelvic PT, that is a subspecialty of physical therapy. So of course, yes, I have, you know, the the standard training throughout, but then you go on for continued um, education in the pelvis then after your um, degree. So the pelvis is really such an interesting connection for the body and stability and motion for our legs And so we can picture our pelvis as our bony pelvis, but within that, then we have our pelvic floor muscles, which are automatic, doing their thing, working very hard to do several functions that we'll discuss. Um, But, you know, we usually are are unaware of them. They're working automatically. We're not feeling them really. We don't understand them which is fine until there is some kind of dysfunction. And then we have to really pull in and and understand. It is a crucial area. Basically, the function is five S's. So we're talking about support of our organs, sphincteric, so anal, as well as um, urinary, sex, our stability, our balance, our kind of gluing us together for our back, our hips, our pelvis, and also as a sump pump for our circulation and our lymphatics, bringing fluids from the legs back up to the heart. Um, So it works closely, the pelvic floor with the diaphragm. The diaphragm is really the activator. And you can think of those two deep in our body working back and forth as a piston. And so they're they're working with each other. They're also communicating about the state of the body, the state of the emotions and the nervous system. So there's so much going on there. Um, And the more we know, the healthier we'll be, body, mind, and soul. Um, So in some respects, I try to communicate with my clients, hey, these are muscles like any other muscle, to try to help that comfort level. Um, So these muscles, like any other muscle, they can be weak. They can be uncoordinated. They can have trigger points and sore areas, restricted areas. They can be too tight, you know, um, so... So yes, we're working them in that aspect, but then they're also extremely different um, because of all of their other connections and functions. So what symptoms, uh, you know, when people come to your office as men and women, what symptoms they usually come with? What do they complain about? Do they complain about back pain or pelvic pain or bladder pain? What, What brings them to physical therapy? Yeah. It is so wide ranging. 
Um, so certainly women tend to be diagnosed more, have more dysfunction in the pelvis. And that's purely anatomy-wise. We actually, because we have an additional opening, there's less strength and stability, right? And gravity, the forces of gravity, also all of our hormonal fluctuations, and then also childbearing, if if that is um, the case. So we tend to see more, and very often men are surprised, even women are surprised, oh, men have a pelvic floor? Yes, we all have a pelvic floor. It's just we tend to think of it more as a female thing. Men do have dysfunctions. Men do have problems. It's just diagnosed less. And unfortunately, even pelvic PTs, there are a lot of pelvic PTs who only treat women. And I think that just goes back to a, a, a comfort level, unfortunately, be, because People are suffering. Women and men are both suffering. So people will come in with such a wide range. It can be uh, a bowel-related issue, diarrhea, constipation, urgency. I can't make it to the bathroom on time. Constant cramping, lower abdominal sensations. It can be anything urinary-wise. I'm leaking, I'm too frequent, I can't hold it, um, my stream is off. It can be sexual. I have no libido. I have pain with intercourse. I'm afraid I um, anything in those realms. It can also be, think more athletically. I have this hip pain that I've seen so many different practitioners and I can't get that to go away. Um, I have back pain. Very often there's scars in the abdominal region and that restricted scar tissue is creating another pool and distortion with our fascia, our soft tissues, or the functioning of our abdominals that is then creating, I mean, anything even distally down into the knee that um, time and time again, people are like, I can't get this better. I've seen so many different practitioners and it's just not getting better. And, uh, you know, when we talk about it, it's very obvious, wow, you're having this hip pain and we're missing a huge set of muscles that is influencing that hip. So the pelvic floor muscles are situated right with deep hip rotator muscles. Um, the pelvic floor muscles are the bottom of our canister. Everyone talks about back support and how we're going to stabilize. And we're going to work your abdominals. We're going to teach you about your back. And yet we're missing the very bottom of that canister and, and what's supporting the spine. So it, it really, when we, when we stop and talk about it, it makes sense. Like, why are we ignoring these muscles? They're the only muscles in the body that we're just truly dismissing and ignoring um, and they very much so are, are stabilizers. So it's it's such a wide range. And, and even how clients get to me is very wide ranging. Um, so yes, it can be from medical providers. Um, but I do feel that there's a lot of education that needs to happen. Very often medical providers do not know the scope or the uh, or what pelvic PT does. Um, so that's all getting, you know, your team in your area, collaborating, understanding each other, who's out there working on similar clients that we can all 
best serve the client. So I do get urology, urogynecology, GI, rheumatology. Um, sometimes I get chiropractors referring to me. I get massage therapists referring. Um, but very often it's word of mouth from women, mom to mom, because of course um, that's a huge segment that we that we treat. Um, and sometimes it literally is is people I think are feeling it's a stab in the dark. Like I have been going around seeing all these practitioners. I'm still having all this pain and problem. I don't know. Maybe you have, you know, something um, that can help. And I view pelvic PT as, you know, um, we're kind of in the middle, literally the body, the conventional medicine and complementary medicine, um, mind, body, soul, we're pulling it all together. So we are trying to reach out to the different practitioners and programs. Um, we do have the time with clients to really get to know them. Generally, we have hour-long appointments. Um, so we can be very holistic. So yeah, it's a, it's a wide range of diagnoses. <laughs> So you mentioned many different organs and many different symptoms. So I I do refer to physical therapy, uh, both conventional and pelvic. In my practice, I see quite a few patients with back pain or hip pain and bladder uh, issues. Uh, they come to me for different reasons, sometimes because they have abnormal lab that's rheumatologic, sometimes because they have pain in other joints. And so when I encounter patients with pelvic pain, I tend to also run a very broad differential diagnosis list. And often patients have a difficult time describing the symptoms and many symptoms may relate or can radiate. For example, lower abdominal pain can, can be due to bladder issues, bowel dysfunctional constipation, musculoskeletal pain from the hips or the back. So likely patient will be referred to, as you said, gastroenterology or doctors who specialize in GI tract, uh, abdominal pain or digestion or urology, bladder issues, or uh, OBGYN, which is a pelvic organs for women, reproduction order, organs. But so many providers, you know, me included, may not even think of pelvic physical therapist as a referral for abdominal pain. Yet mm -hmm. you do see abdominal pain and you treat it successfully because lower abdominal pain in other organs are residing in, you know, the other organs that can cause pain in abdomen are residing in pelvis. So if you have a patient come to you with, uh, with abdominal pain and no one can figure out why, is it a common referral to you? And what do you do with that kind of patient? I love that kind of patient. Yes. In the ideal situation, they have been worked up by someone as yourself, right? So that I know it, it's it's not the the big scary you, you know diagnoses that we we need the medical intervention for, right? Like that we're not missing something. So I love when they've already had their workup, but sometimes it happens the other way where somebody is coming to me. And then I'm having some questions. Well, have you had labs? Have you had testing? Have you been seen by these specialists? And it's me saying, well, I, I'd also rather have you start to see some of these other practitioners and see what else um, we're dealing with. But I think it's 
we look at it as like an either or kind of situation and it's both end. So even if the practitioners are coming up with a diagnosis of interstitial cystitis, very often like that's not the end of the story. There's still a lot of things that the client can do once we educate. We also see what their patterns are of breathing and what other muscles are weak in the abdominal area or the hip area that are contributing to that pain that they're having. So endo is a great example where I'm not treating the endo per se, but yet we are making huge improvement in the person's life, right? I'm not, I'm not eliminating those um, endometriosis adhesions, but I am able to help mobilize the organs. So maybe we have a little better um, mobility there. I'm decreasing the pelvic floor protection that's happening because the floor is picking up that there is something else going on in the body. So there's where, you know, it takes both, both ends. Like, yes, you're working with your practitioner for whatever that, that diagnosis is, but there are so many other ways to improve quality of life and decrease pain for that client and give them ownership, empowerment, and control. Okay, you have this diagnosis and you can still have improvement in life, right? Um, it happens all the time, like say backs, like somebody's coming in, I have stenosis. I, you know, oh, that's it. I can't do anything. And it's as a as a PT, we're we're always, you know, pushing the envelope. Well, how I want to maximize your function, your improve your window of tolerance. Yes, you have stenosis. That doesn't mean we have to rule out all these different things that you can and can't do. Let's let's literally take you through some things, see what you can do, where we can make improvements and changes and advancements. And it's the same when it comes to some of the more organ-related diagnoses as well. Yeah. So when I uh, had my last baby... Uh, I, had, I had severe pelvic pain uh, with walking and getting up from a sitting position. And I was diagnosed with sympathetic pubis dysfunction. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was referred to pelvic PT. So I actually have a firsthand experience with pelvic yes. PT. <laughs> and although I, at that time I was already a physician, I had no idea what to expect uh, when I came to my first appointment. And my evaluation and treatment was... Um, very invasive per se, and it was very surprising to me. Uh, so who can you please walk my listeners through their first visit? Uh, yes. if they were just referred for pelvic pain by OBGYN or urology, what is uh, it like for a patient, and what the patient should expect? What kind of evaluation will be done, etc.? How is it done? Mm -hmm. Good question, because I think. We are so comfortable as pelvic PTs with internal examinations, talking about all these things that people might not feel comfortable talking about, that we do have to appreciate the client side, right? Where 
they're nervous. Usually they're scared. It's unknown. It's, it's not like traditional PT where we all have friends who have been to PT. You've heard stories, you know what it's like, you know what to expect. So I think we do have to stop and slow down a little bit. Um, we can't go rushing right into internal exams sometimes, depending on the client and where they're starting from. So the, you know, having a client walk in so often, they're walking in, they have their sneakers, they kind of have their Gatorade, and they're all ready to like throw me on the treadmill, uh, give me the weights. And I'm like, well, it's not really that kind of PT. Um, so we always talk first in depth. And so I'm looking at behavior and lifestyle first. And so my evaluation is talking to them about, let me hear about your bowels. What does it look like? We're going through the Bristol stool scale. Um, what are you eating? What? Let me just hear in general um, what your um, urination habits are. And I'm asking them a lot of detailed questions and, and marking and seeing, okay, here's some areas for change or improvement or things that maybe just aren't quite right. And what can we do? We're going over, well, what is your exercise routine? What do you do? Sometimes we're our, our worst enemy. We're, we're pushing something that shouldn't be pushed that is continuing a pattern of pain. Um, then where's your relaxation? What do you do that is a calming in your life? And that is so wide ranging um, for people. Very often in our society, that box is blank for people. What? Relax? I'm, you know, I don't know. Or watch TV, you know. Um, and there's so many other ways to find that relaxation and, and get in the zone there. Um, sex, period. Our period is a great health indicator. What goes on with your period? What kind of birth control are you on? Um, what's your occupation? What do you, you know, what do you do? What are your postures? What? So we're talking. And by the time we go through all that, I think clients are starting to understand a little bit as we go, I'm educating them on why that's important and what that means and, and showing them on a model, what, you know, what I'm kind of thinking, where my head is going, what, what else we're going to look at. Then we look at a more traditional external movement, function, strength, range of motion, literally from the neck all the way down, because there are influencers um, from the neck all the way down of our patterns. Uh, how are you moving your lunges, your squats, what's your posture, sit, stand? What's your breathing? That's huge. We can breathe sometimes and look pretty good when we're laying, but let me see you standing. Let me see you sitting. What does your breath pattern do? Because it does change. Um, then, and depending on the feeling that I'm getting from the client or literally asking them their comfort level, are we able to do an internal assessment or at least begin the process of external genitalia, First layer of pelvic floor is external. It's more groin. We can talk as if we're, we're speaking more sports and traditional PT. How does that relate to our hips and our back and our abdomen? And can we start there even? And depending on what the person says and also their body language to me, I always tell them, I am not here to create stress, anxiety, or pain. 
that is never the path to getting better. So if I can sense that that they're just not quite ready for that, there are so many areas based on that list and my evaluation that we went through that I can start to move you forward. I can do some breath exercises, some external stretching for the hip. Um, and speaking of how do we start to just be able to picture the pelvic floor, right? And I'm I'm going over videos and diagrams of, hmm, when we do this breath, what is happening with the floor? Can you at least imagine it? I know it's hard to, to feel it and activate it yourself right now. Um, and then we start to, to see like, where are we ready to go? Will it be the next session maybe internal so that I can give more feedback? We do not really know what's going on with the pelvic floor without that internal. I can make some good assessments based on, hmm, you seem like a type A stressed out person. You have a history of some trauma. You're constipated. I could assume you have a hypertonic or a tight pelvic floor, and that's what we're doing. But it's it's also, you know, I we need to to validate with kind of that internal assessment um, for people. It would be exactly you you go for a shoulder pain, and I never touch your shoulder or. I mean, how how good of a session um, and a treatment plan am I going to come up with? Now, that being said, there are circumstances where internal is just not in in that person's realm. And that's okay. We we can move you forward and we can make progress or say for my younger clients where the parent rightfully so or the, the younger girl or or boy, they're saying, nope, nope, no internal. We can do external work and, and educate about the pelvic floor. Um, so it varies. And we certainly do vaginal and rectal on women and or depending where we're going, what's happening, what their complaints are. Males, obviously, rectal work um, internally. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, uh, again, many organs, many, many possibilities. I see a lot of patients who complain of back pain, lower back pain, mid back pain, and the physical therapists are always working on the core muscle, you know, but I feel like there's a lot of pelvic organs that can cause already to the back as well. So when you have a patient that you see for some other reason and they complain of the back pain. Is it something that pelvic PT can address or work with or need to work with? Definitely, definitely. So I do believe there's some research studies out there saying that 90 some percent of people with back pain have pelvic floor dysfunction, right? So that's part of, if you think of us more as a canister or a soda can, right? And that base and that piston is a key stabilizer. As I contract my deep transverses, the lower, deepest abdominal muscles, the pelvic floor should also be contracting and supporting, which activates the multifidi between the vertebrae, in essence, stabilizing that back. When that system is off or dysregulated or can't come in and contract, 
you're not getting that bottom of the soda can support that's helping with pressure regulation through that canister. Often too, it's, you know, well, how are you using? Sometimes it's, I have horribly weak legs and glutes. Glutes are such a huge supporter for our spine. And if I have weak legs, I'm going to tend functionally to use my back instead of using my legs um, would be one example. Um, We Referral patterns, right? So um, inner thigh adductor can refer and feel bladder. Deep hip rotator muscles can refer to the SI joint or to the bladder and give frequency sensations. So it's it's not as cut and dry as I think we um, and clients often feel that the body is like, put me in a scan, see the diagnosis. Here it is. This is what I have. Herniation of L4. It, it's it's so individual. You know, what are you, what are your limiting beliefs about your back pain? If your father had a horrible back history, you saw him go through seven surgeries and and you have this limiting belief that backs are weak and backs go out so easily. And, you know, that is going to influence how you move, what you believe. Um, so it's so wide ranging, um, honestly. And until you look and you go over and it does take a while, I don't think the evaluation really can be like, okay, your first session is your evaluation. And then we're done as PTs too. We're always evaluating. Let me watch you do. Somebody could look pretty good in a couple different movements. And then all of a sudden you ask them to do something else, a, a lunge and you're like, oh my goodness, like look what's dysfunctional there or out of alignment. No wonder your back hurts. Um, so, yeah. So you mentioned uh, pelvic floor many times. So pelvic floor is composed of many, many muscles and musculature is very complex. It has over 30 different muscles that support the pelvic organs, bladder, uterus, intestines. How many muscles are there? Um <laughs> Well, we we have multiple, we have three layers of pelvic floor muscle, um, but then the ancillary muscles that are really interacting and working is extensive. I mean, all the way down to our foot intrinsic muscles have same nerve innervation as pelvic floor. So if somebody can't do internal pelvic floor, can't strengthen, can't, you know, okay, can we strengthen and activate by activating a muscle that is innervated by the same um, nerve, right? So um, we know that, you know, the glottis, the diaphragm and the pelvic diaphragm or floor are the three diaphragms that are working with each other in that pressure regulation system. Um, Yeah, there's, there's just astronaut, people who are shallow chest breathers, right, are just tightening everything in their neck and their upper traps, and they're inactivating the support system for the back, which would be the, you know, the pelvic floor and the transversus, and and, and that's being weakened or turned off or just not utilized to support. Um, and glutes. Glutes 
are inactive in the vast majority of us because probably more sedentary life, they're, they're turned off. And even if you're doing a glute exercise, it's amazing how many times and when you start drilling a person and saying, where are you feeling? They're using all hamstring. So many people are very hamstring dominant and you could be doing all your bridges, not using your glutes one bit. So it's really being there, watching, listening to the person. Well, where are you feeling that? What are you activating? Sometimes somebody's doing a, a an activity that should be their glute, and they're saying, "Oh, I'm feeling it right here in my back." <laughs> and you're like, "That's not really what we're trying to work on." Um, so yeah, uh, tight pelvic floor, that compression, that gripping. Um, you can picture how that's impacting the back. Um, Posture should be aligned and relaxed. And very often, posture is grippy for people. They're tense. They're squeezing their butt. That's a, a pattern, a substitution that, um, you know, we need to, to work on and see why and what we can do to change that. So if a patient comes to a provider like me or uh, got a diagnosis from pelvic PT of pelvic floor dysfunction. It sounds like it's such a complex area. It can be anything. What exactly is a pelvic floor, floor dysfunction and what are the symptoms and how the symptoms in men versus women differ in pelvic mm -hmm. floor dysfunction? Yep. So the pelvic floor dysfunction, like, okay, that's such a broad umbrella. Something is going wrong um, with those muscles and those five S's that we talked about. They're, they're faulty in one of those ways, and it can present very different. So example being supportive dysfunction. So for women, men don't tend to have supportive dysfunctions as much, um, but women, any of our organs can start to sag how you know is probably the term and the view that a lot of people it's being pressurized down through our vagina our rectum there's just pressure into that pelvic floor it can be bladder bowel uterus that vagina kind of telescoping through that vaginal area um rectal can be coming through the rectum itself or the rectal could be coming into the vaginal wall. So pelvic organ prolapse is something which pelvic PTs treat and can treat very well as we're speaking about quality of life and symptoms, right? Can I, if, if symptoms, we grade them, one, things are lacking support just a little, they're still up there, but they're lacking it's weakening, it's stretching down as everything, especially women as we age and loss of estrogen, everything starts to sag, right? Face, breast, belly. So yes, our organs are also. So grade one, a little bit, grade two, it's kind of maybe you see something at the entrance of the vagina there, a little bulge, it kind of looks like the tip of your nose, it's a little squishy. And then three, it starts to come past the opening. So now it's more on the external. Four is even further, right? Um, so as a pelvic PT, can I get that bladder to like hook way back up there where it used to be? No, that's connective tissue loss and stretch that has come down. 
can I teach you not to hold your breath when you lift up your grandchild that's pushing your pelvic organs downward? Can I teach you to contract the pelvic floor and give support? And maybe now you have zero symptoms, even though you still have a pelvic organ prolapse. Um, so there's where you know the research shows can I make it go from a grade two back up to a grade one? No. Can I change your symptoms? And there's where I would love to see a shot at let's conservatively, just like orthopedic surgeons do, hey, go try PT for a while, see how you feel. If not, then maybe we'll move on to surgery for your back or to, you know, um, Give it a shot because it just depends too. What is that woman's goal? If you have a prolapse and you're feeling pressure through the vaginal area and heaviness when you're standing, can if your goal is I want to run marathon every year, that's one story. Maybe we do need to surgically suspend and give you greater support. If your goal is, I want to play, play bridge with the ladies and do my grocery shopping, that's a different level of support. Can I get, get that for you as a pelvic PT, changing your movement patterns, your strength? And very often people are thinking, okay, I just got to strengthen my pelvic floor. It's an entire bowl of a pelvis. Like if my hips are weak, how would I expect what's between my hips to be strong? They can't. My hips also have to be strong. My abdominals, it's not only just a weak problem. Sometimes it's a tight problem. Women are known for sucking in our stomachs and squeezing. It's as if I'm squeezing the top of a balloon, pushing that pressure down and those organs down. So if I teach you to stop with that gripping, squeezing, what if you have a, a tight restriction, soft tissue, scarring, something that is squeezing in your abdomen, that's a pressure problem, putting pressure down through your organs. So there's so much that we can do conservatively with therapy. And there is research study that says only 7% of women know that PT could help possibly with a pelvic organ prolapse. Um, so there's one type of dysfunction. Another is our sphincters. So things leaking when they shouldn't be leaking, bowel, bladder, um, frequency, things like that, um, stability, my back is hurting, my hips are hurting, all that. So pelvic floor dysfunction is that large umbrella and it can present so differently. Pelvic organ dysfunction. I have such a tight pelvic floor that I can't put a tampon in for young girls or a menstrual cup. Um, sex, gynecological exams should, you should not be sweating and gripping in your exam. I would hope that practitioners pick that up and would say, and I certainly work with a lot in the area that know of pelvic PT and they, oh, okay, let's hold off. Let's have you go to PT so that this is not a traumatic event because if it is a traumatic event once, I'm going to have increased anxiety and pelvic floor tightening the next time I'm going back because my brain and my body are remembering that that was no fun and it's protective. And so we can prevent a lot of suffering for 
girls, women moving forward to reestablish that as this is not a traumatic thing, right? We, there's so much, a couple sessions of pelvic feet PT where we get to explain the muscles, what are they doing, how to pick up on, oh, I'm tightening versus relaxing into the exam, um, understanding all that is so easy and it can make the world of difference in a woman's life. Um, so there's a t- so true, so true. Uh, you know, I I hear a lot of women who had babies, and mm-hmm. you know they've had either vaginal birth or C-section, and they will have pain 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 after, or they have incontinence after stress incontinence or or any kind of painful experiences, painful sex after having a baby, and often they're just brushed off. Oh, what do you expect? You just had a baby. You just pushed this huge, you know, size baby out of your pelvis. Uh, it's normal. Is it normal to have pain after having childbirth? No. And this is the other thing that amazes me. And I think what happened, obviously, this is something that's a joyful event. It's expected. It's not a surprise, a, a trauma, an injury, so to speak, in those you know terms. So, of course, we don't view it as something that needs rehab. But when we think about anything else in the body, we would never do that and say, oh yes, you have torn X, Y, Z. Well, there you are. You know, we try, we try to rehab no matter what somebody has injured. Um, And this is exactly the same scenario, musculoskeletal injury compounded by nine months of change in our body, nutrition, we're depleted, then we're depleted in our sleep, our role has changed, our identity has changed, Um, our habits have changed. So we are entering, it would be as if I'm signing up for a job that is 24-7, and I'm in the worst shape of my life, and nobody is is helping to rehab me, right? So we know the statistics are there. Um, You know, first vaginal delivery, the levator ani, so the pelvic floor muscle, the avulsions, the literal tearing off the bone is huge. It's very frequent. External anal sphincter defect, So I have stretched and torn into my anal sphincter where we know there's a defect and we don't rehab. Like, so we, I think we know, women know and they expect urinary incontinence that is out there in the world. We kind of know it, but the, the number of other sequelae that happen around our birth, even an uncomplicated very wonderful birth, it's almost unavoidable to have changes in our body. It's fine. We should expect it. We should know about it because we all do better and the research shows. If I am not surprised by something, if I kind of know that this may happen and I have a plan afterwards to rehab, we do fine, right? We don't want to feel blindsided after birth of, I never knew I could tear my sphincter, you know, how traumatic. 
we're adding to the, to the trauma um, of the event. We need to look at this as a, a musculoskeletal issue, like anything else. It astounds me that a football player with one stretched knee ligament is in my office in two seconds. And yet we know pelvic floor stretches over 300% during delivery. There's no way around it. We have to have torn some of those fibers at least. And, and yes, it's, it's a hard area then to, to test and stretch and, and know, but we should expect, let me at least screen you and see where now you're still a little weak. Let's teach you, let's rehab it so you can move forward accordingly to everyday life, to your work. We are setting ourselves up for injury down the road. And that is what we see. So maybe most of us move on, have our kids move on, get back to running, get back to everything, feel like we feel okay. It's usually perimenopausal that once again, we go through another transition with loss of estrogen, weight gain, that core that we never put back together then kind of shows up more. So there's where we're seeing women coming in with more of a complaint of prolapse, leakage. It's just like the the extra straw that broke the camel's back idea. We never quite rehabbed it. Um, And there's so much that we could do. Yeah. If somebody had uh, a child, a child uh, just had a baby um, and it was maybe traumatic, maybe not, what are the red flags that should definitely be sent to physical therapy? And what is the time frame? Because what I see is sometimes people have trauma and then six months, you know, the baby, baby is young, it needs attention, then six months passes, a year passes, and now three months, you know, three years later, then they start paying attention to their, oh, this pain is still there. The baby is going to kindergarten. What is what are the red flags that should automatically be referred to physical therapy after childbirth, and what is the time frame that is the best um, time frame and the most effective? Yes, well, I think we need to start with our screening. We we go back and follow up with our OB at six weeks, and at that time, the OB will say you are cleared to do whatever you want. That is strictly from the OB, from the uterine healing or our episiotomy or tear healing standpoint that you are able to return to whatever you want. But is that really true if the person is a marathon runner? Do we know that your core is functioning well enough that you can start doing whatever? And we should not go from delivering baby to running and jumping, right? Anything else in the body, I have a ankle sprain, whatever. There's a a plan of care, right? It's, It's a different speed for each person, but first range of motion, then strength, then stability, then pounding on it, dynamic movement, coordination, and and let's get you ready 
for the event that you're going to do, whatever that is, your, your occupation, your recreation, your sport, and let's screen and make sure that there is no pain, no baggage, no dysfunction as we move you along. So PTs are the musculoskeletal specialists. Like there, there is where anything else would be sent to us. Hey, screen them. Can they get back to soccer? Can they get back to this? That, you know, um, prehab, right? We prehab people before they have total knee replacements. They come to PT, we teach them the exercises so that they're familiar. Pregnancy is no big surprise that we're going to have a delivery. We should be prehabbing people, checking them out before would be ideal. You know, maybe one time in, like, let's let's prep end of pregnancy. Let's prep you for the delivery. And then right after, let's see how you're doing and what we need to do. Um, there are some women that one screen we would check. Okay, great. Here's, let's start you on your abdominal and your glute exercises. And I feel comfortable with you getting back to it. You're very aware. You're very good. Other women, they are having severe pain and dysfunction. Um, so they would need some more assistance. Um, not to mention too, like the mental health component, right? We know that that peaks a couple weeks after delivery, a couple of years, then we see another peak after. And I think what happens so often is that maternal instinct kicks in. I am not paying attention to my body, my needs, my dysfunctions. I'm very focused on that infant, rightfully so, right? Makes sense. And so there's where a lot of things also get dismissed. Um, and at that six-week checkup, we have so much going on um, with this new baby, especially our first time. Um, I'm sure we're not thinking clearly to be asking questions of, you know, oh, I'm also having this tailbone pain when I sit or, you know, I'm still, you know, afraid to have sex or, you know, so many things we're just not bringing up. Two. So I think one, if in an ideal world, and I know we do not have enough practitioners, but in an ideal world, a, a PT screening at, at six weeks after the OB clears you, let's let's see now, because they're not looking at how do you weight bear on your leg? How do you jump? How do you what are your abdominals doing? They're not looking at that. So we can't say, check, you're good, go ahead. We're setting women up for for disaster and for for dysfunction, you know? So do you feel like OB should have some type of referral process, like automatically referring patients to physical therapy, for example, if they had a forcept or vacuum assistant delivery, if the baby was nine pounds or larger, if the baby, if the mother is obese and gained or gained a lot of weight through pregnancy. Uh, if she has back pain with pregnancy or after, the, those are the patients that should 100% get screened. And then the other ones will be maybe lacerations of, of the pelvic muscles, uh, you know, through the delivery, you know, uh, prolonged childbearing. Do you feel like those are kind of common conditions that will, for sure, or or you know high high percentage of high probability will have a dysfunction later in life uh or am i missing something else no i i think those are good right pushing longer than 2 hours so those are the standards but we know 
everybody is so individual, right? Um, there's some people that don't fit in any of that category that really something that was said, something that they didn't expect, it becomes very traumatic and emotional for that for that woman. So very often the OB could be looking at it as everything's okay. So I, I also think those are definite guarantees. You should be checked out by a PT. But then there's an enormous number of women who, if they knew it was an option, I think it's relieving and it feels supportive, right? We need the village more. So even just bringing it up to each and every woman, like, do you feel like, do you know there's, nobody knows there's even pelvic PT. So do you know there's pelvic physical therapy? Would you at all be interested in having them check you out and and make sure that you're feeling okay and you're moving okay? Um, because some women um, are having huge anxiety or it was very traumatic to them. Um, and they're having fear, fear of returning to sex. We should once again not be like gripping and anxious to return. How about if we slowly inch you in, just like the ankle example? We don't take you out of the cast and then put you out to run. It's the same thing. We've we've had an injury. How about if we start with some light touch from a therapist, stretching the muscles, getting you to close and open the muscles, get some circulation, some stretch on that scar before we jump to intercourse. Um, so I think asking women too, do you think you could benefit? Because we don't know what's going on inside them and their bodies. Um, they don't even know that they need help, right? Because all this has been so normalized. It's normal to have this, that, and the other thing. Yes. Till six weeks, all tissue healing time, six weeks by then, if you are still leaking or having any issues, pain with sex, back pain, hip pain, you tailbone pain, yes, then you definitely need to come in. Um, yeah, it, I know it's a hard kind of gray line um, there, but women sometimes aren't even able to speak up for themselves and ask because we don't know what we don't know. And our culture has normalized it so much. And the end also feeling like, well, why do I need PT? Like nobody, none of my friends went to pelvic PT, you know, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, yeah, but we'll be better, right? We will be so much better if we get it together. Think of, think of us as an athlete. That was a huge athletic event with musculoskeletal changes. We would never do this to an athlete, right? So like true. just, so true. Yeah. Uh, so also, you, you mentioned women. We talk about women for quite some time. But many of my listeners are men. And fibromyalgia is often underdiagnosed and undertreated in men for many reasons. Uh, men don't speak up about their pain. Uh, they don't speak up about the, their, you know, uh, pu pushing and crashing behaviors. Uh, but pelvic pain is often a symptom of chronic back pain or chronic other kind of type of pain, but they will not either mention to primary care or speak up and they may think it's normal. Uh, and it, it can present as a back pain or, or bladder pain or testicular pain. So 
Could you tell me why men deserve physical therapy, pelvic physical therapy, and what yes. conditions do you address in pelvic PT? Yes, it's the exact same thing where, okay, so then the urologist checks everything and then somebody is complaining of testicular pain or penile pain and everything as far as our conventional medical testing is normal. Things should not be left unresolved, right? So then urologists who know pelvic PTs and know what, I, I just love the docs that I work with that they're like, okay, everything on my end in my wheelhouse is normal. Go check PT. Maybe it's something with them. They, they might not know all that I know about musculoskeletal. They just recognize that, hey, maybe this is a musculoskeletal thing, not a urological thing. Um, and so we see it could be post-vasectomy syndrome. Any so-called trauma, even though, right, we would, we wouldn't term that as a trauma, but the body is seeing that as a trauma. The muscles react to protect, rightfully so. Usually then within a day or two, everything should calm down the inflammation, the pain, but for a few people, it doesn't. The muscles stay protective and tight, which then cascades into a chronic pelvic pain situation where my muscles are tight. I'm worried. Nobody, everybody is saying everything's okay. Well, why am I still having this pain, which upregulates our nervous system when we're not having the answers, then our mind goes crazy about what else it can be. Um, and that's that cascade. The other area that we see chronic pelvic pain is usually guys who are sitting for a significant amount of time for their job, usually poor posture on the tailbone. When tailbone is tucked under, that's shortening and tightening the pelvic floor muscles. Typically on top of that is a type A personality or a stressful job in, you know, environment or life environment. Stress contracts pelvic floor. Some people, that's not where it sits, right? Some people would have the migraine, the back pain, the ulcer, the chest pain. It, it's just how your body chooses to try to speak to you and let you know that something's wrong. Sits in the pelvis. Um, so those are typically bike significant bike riders um, because of the pressure on the perineum and the pudendal nerve that goes to the pelvic floor region is another um, commonality. Heavy lifting, um, kettlebell swinging, thrusting, where we are just really over tightening the pelvic floor. So typically that would be okay. Our, our muscles contract, but for some people, if I'm already starting a little too tight and now I'm adding an activity that's tightening them even more and I'm never stretching, relaxing, opening, it develops into a pain situation. The body is trying to talk to us. It's saying there's something wrong it, and it will keep spreading. If we don't address it, your body is continually trying to talk to you. So it starts as, oh, I have a little pain when I sit. And then it goes to 
my testicle hurts. And then it goes to the tip of my penis hurts. And then it goes to, I can't sit at all. I have to lie down constantly. I'm having my meals brought to me in bed. And then the anxiety of I'm not getting diagnosed and I'm not getting treated adds to all that. Um, Post prostate surgery for prostate cancer, we see the urinary leakage, Um, sometimes pain. So we start off with, yeah, there's going to be a little post-surgical pain that should resolve. But for some people, if that doesn't resolve, that needs to be addressed. Um, Think of it as just an an overly protective uh, system that you have. All of us, after any type of surgery, muscles are going to contract to protect us. And I have pain that should ease up and dissipate. For some people, my system is just in there overworking and saying, nope, I'm still going to protect you. I'm still going to hold on. And then that becomes a problem in and of itself. Um, so those are the, the typical groin pools, a significant groin pool um, from athletics. Um, you know, the, those muscles, if you have pulled your inner thigh, the odds are the other muscles that work right with that. And we tend to ignore the pelvic floor. They have to be involved. They have to also have been, you know, affected one way or another. The fascia continues um, into that area. Uh, So those are. That's a lot of issues that can be, can be addressed in this physical therapy. Uh, Now, many of my listeners probably wonder why are we talking so much about pelvic pain on my fibromyalgia podcast. You know, <laughs> if you go back to my earlier episodes, I talked about central sensitization syndrome. It's a condition of nervous system that's associated with development and maintenance of chronic pain. And it plays a role in different chronic pain disorders, such as fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic back and neck pain, chronic t- tension migraines or headaches, IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, as well as pelvic pain. Uh, interstitial cystitis, painful menstrual periods. Could you explain to me how pelvic pain can be similar to fibromyalgia? Mm, Definitely. So we do um, see, talk with, work with central sensitization all the time. Any pain that continues for greater than three months is considered a chronic pain problem. Typically at that point, We are dealing with much more than the tissue injury or or whatever started. And some of these things can start with an infection, um, a trauma. Like So the initial threat to the system is one thing. Um, But then the cascade of symptoms that we see. So fibro can be one. And we see usually clusters. So people who have IBS typically also, you know, might have migraines or or have pelvic pain or, you know, endo, same thing. So we see these things as clusters. And it is how the inflammation, a lot of times, stress is seen with the nervous system. So what the nervous system is in a constant upregulated um, uh, pattern is turning on certain organs and pathways and turning off others. We should 
vacillate between sympathetic or upregulation, fight, flight, freeze, parasympathetic, rest, restore, digest. And we should vacillate a little bit throughout the day, giving ourselves breaks. Our body can take stress as long as then we bring it down and, and recalibrate, reset, and then more stress fine. In our society, we are just driving in that stressful time all the time, multitasking, um, productivity, instead of those moments of just ah uh, and relax and nothing. Um, so it's that combination. And it's, it, it is just amazing of how does my body choose to present and talk to me? Um, it might be one diagnosis or the other, one body part or another. Um, but we go from now it's no longer the initial injury per se, the back injury. Now we're talking about an, a pattern. Um, and so maybe, yes, I initially had discomfort sitting for a very good tissue reason. But when that goes on for years, now that is embedded that sitting is bad, sitting is painful, sitting is a threat. And so it's not the actual act of sitting. It's my fear of sitting that truly brings on pain. I know, you know, people get very um, upset and frustrated if they think we are saying the pain is in your head. It's not that at all. It's stemming not from the tissue as much as go back further. It's stemming from the brain and the cascade of pattern that is happening and an emotion very often um, triggering that pattern and that pain. And we are, you know, decreasing oxygen to an area. And so, yes, it, you truly are feeling that pain. Um, we're not saying it's in your head. It's just it needs treated in a different way than we are so used to society treating a very direct route. Um, so it's it needs a more comprehensive um, evaluation, mind, body, soul of what is that pattern and why is that pattern there? Yeah, I have seen, yeah, people that exact, you know, you can, when you step back, you can see if you sit on this very soft chair for five seconds and somebody will say, oh my gosh, you, you made me sit there for five seconds. Now my pain has continued for five days from then. We know from a musculoskeletal standpoint, there was no tissue damage and inflammation from that event. That is the bigger issue that has gone on that has created the cascade of pain. Um, same with, I touched a strawberry to my mouth and I know that strawberries are one of the interstitial cystitis problems with bladder and my bladder hurt as soon as I touched it. Like we, we know that the bladder didn't get that, that acidity or, you know, or um, that the nutrients from the strawberry yet, it was that trigger of the fear complex that, that brings that on. You know, I have a whole episode on my podcast about fear pain cycle and how stressful it can be. 
Uh, in fibromyalgia, we often see the triggers of fibromyalgia flares being um, something stressful or traumatic or uh, having an experience of, you know, poor sleep, um, you know, having sleep disorders. And, mm-hmm. and we see the kind of randomness of symptoms lasting hours or minutes or days. And, and there's a pattern of avoidance. You know, my back hurts. I'm going to avoid a certain activity. Do you feel there's an avoidance of activities with pelvic pain? And what do you think about reversing it? Yes, always, always. And it is, it's a graded exposure, slowly, gradually breaking down some of those limiting beliefs and images that we have in our in our head and our nervous system. And so definitely, uh, you know, a lot of my patients were working with um, psychotherapy and counseling because we can work from the brain down to try to dysregulate, you know, try to help that body again. But we also need to work from the body up and the body can send some amazing signals back up to the brain to reassure that you are safe. And one of the the things that we do in, in pelvic PT, one of the sentences that I'm saying very often as we're working with the pelvic floor muscles and trying to get them to calm is it's safe to let go because we have these muscles that think they're doing an amazingly good job of protecting you, but they're actually part of the problem. And they're, they're, they're only going to let go when they are getting that deep nervous system feeling of safety. So that could go, you know, we have to, we have to reassure the body that it is safe. And, and that could mean so many different things depending on the person's past. Um, and, and sometimes we don't recognize where that belief started and that limitation started very often. It's literally medical provider showing an MRI and the terminology too, that we're using, or, you know, oh, you have destroyed this, there's destruction here. There's some of those words and the image that we get creates that threat and that scare. Oh, I better not move my back. Because, you know, I saw on that MRI or I heard what the doctor said about it, that can trigger this cascade. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's fascinating. And we can see improvement. The key is once the person uh, believes and understands the mind body and the central sensitization, that's the hardest part is bridging that gap. Because in our society, we are so used to conventional medical, right? Um, This diagnosis, this pill, this surgery, and it healing is way bigger than that. Um, And there's so many modes to healing. And the nutrition, right? We talked about it. So true. Yes, so true. You know, I have um, many patients who listen to my podcast told me that when they were diagnosed with fibromyalgia, they, it was a, like a death sentence. It told me that, you know, the doctors or the literature, it was, you got fibromyalgia, that's the end of the world. You're done. You will always have this condition. You always have pain. 
And I'm seeing, no, you can really manage successfully this condition if you have a proper mindset and body-mind approach coupled with nutrition, proper sleep, lifestyle modifications. It is just like any other condition that we may have for whatever reason you you got, you got bad, you know, you got dealt bad cards. There's, it's not the end of the world. There's hope and there's a treatment. And I want to relate same thing with with, uh, with pelvic pain. There is treatment. There is hope. You don't have to get stuck with pelvic pain for the rest of your life. You had a baby. The baby is now in college. You still have pain. It's not normal. Go get treatment. Right. Right. We are suffering unnecessarily, whether we're talking pelvic, fibro, so many other things. It's, you know, that's one piece. I guess it's like anything else, right? We know that there are people out there that have rheumatoid arthritis running marathons, right? It's how am I managing despite the diagnosis? And, you know, I always say that to people like I am such a glass is all the way full, you know, not even half full. Like there's hope I have seen and maybe there's where it's hard for clients. They have not seen what is possible in the human beings, right? I have seen people with major dysfunctions just thrive and change and move because they had the will. They worked on what they could. They changed what they could despite whatever the diagnosis was. So I always say to people, so what? Like, I I hear you and it's not being disrespectful, but no matter what diagnosis you're walking in or they're walking in with that long list of diagnoses and they feel completely broken and hopeless. But I'm always like, so what? Well, what if you actually started to eat right and get your sleep and move a little and do some mindfulness? Hey, I have no idea how far we can get you, but let's start working and see how good we can get you feeling because all those things are controllable. You have full control of that. And so so true. So true. I see it every day. And if clients could see it because you see it on both ends, right? You could see a perfectly healthy person not making the most of their life, maybe, and not managing the things that are manageable. Um, And then I see people that have this long list or somebody who's there's a triathlon a nun who is doing triathlons to this day, Ironman triathlons. She is in her, I think, 80s, late 80s, 45 Ironman triathlons. Like the, it is amazing what the human spirit can do. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, the best thing you can do is to share with someone and leave a review and rating. This helps me support more people just like you move toward better life with fibromyalgia. All you have to do is to go to the platform you're listening on, click the share button or the icon, and just send it to a friend. I so appreciate you taking your time to do so. Make sure you sign up or subscribe to this podcast so you can get the most up-to-date information in the new episodes. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you next week. And don't forget to mind your fibro. Disclaimer. This podcast provides information only 
and does not provide any medical or psychological services or advice. None of the content on this podcast prevents, cures, or treats any medical or mental condition.